In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. My family, my extended family, we got some good news this week. Particularly appropriate news for Father's Day. My brother and his wife have got three children of their own, and they're still young kids, 12, 9, and 7, pretty sure. Uh, but uh, two years ago, they had just finished the paperwork to become foster parents. I mean, the ink was, was not dry yet, and the phone rang. And a four-day-old baby needed a foster home. And the baby's name was Sean, and basically they picked him up from the hospital. There might have been a step or two in between there, but they just basically went and picked him up from the hospital. They, put, they didn't have any baby stuff left, so they put the word out in the church, and, and I mean, just within minutes, there were strollers and car seats and, and baby Bjorns and squishy toys and diapers and onesies and everything you could think of on their front porch, and they were off and ready, and they have had Sean ever since. But the news is, is they just got their court date, and in a couple of weeks, Sean will become a Gibbs. They're moving from a, a fostering Sean to adopting Sean, and Sean is getting a new last name. And he won't be Sean, the adopted Gibbs. Uh, he won't be Sean with a little asterisk and a parenthetical disclaimer. He will be Sean Gibbs all the way. And he's going to have to learn that everyone forgets the E in his last name, just like the rest of us had to learn. And, and Sean will be every bit the child of my brother, just like his three siblings. The love that he receives is equal to what the others receive. If there is any inheritance, uh, it'll be split four ways and not three and a half or three, uh, because soon he will be all the way Sean Gibbs. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I'm excited. And because in our passage from Galatians, St. Paul tells us that that's actually what happens to us. We get a new name. Not exactly like Sean, but uh, if you're thinking, well, uh, I kind of like the name I've got. I want to show you what I mean, and I want to show you why it is so important and such good news in today's divided society. Now, our passage in Galatians picks up in the middle of a longer section in which St. Paul is addressing a theological controversy. And this is uh, no ivory tower, how many angels dance on the head of a pen, doesn't matter to real people kind of controversy. This is brass tacks, what is the heart of Christianity sort of controversy. Paul had planted the Galatian church, and of course he had taught them the gospel, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and He lived the life that we should have lived, and He died the death that we deserve to die. And He rose again from the dead so that we might be rescued to eternal life by His grace. That is the good news message of salvation. It's the gospel. And it was revolutionary for these Galatians. Because they, these pagan Gentiles had never heard of a God who loved them. They had never heard of a God who did not demand constant sacrifice. They had never experienced grace. They had never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were all in on the gospel. 
But eventually, it came time for, for Paul to move on. He needed to go plant other churches in other places and teach other people that same gospel message. And behind him, in his absence, some people had come into the Galatian church saying, well, sure, Jesus is the Son of God, and, and sure, he died for our sins, but to be a real Christian, to stay in the good graces of Jesus, you have to obey the law of Moses. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to do all the stuff. And, you know, if you think about it, that makes good logical sense, right? I mean, Jesus was, after all, the Jewish Messiah. And, and what could have been more intrinsic to Paul's own Jewish heritage than adherence to the law of Moses? The problem is that they had added to the gospel. They had added to the work of Jesus. And Paul would tell you that if you try adding anything to the finished work of Jesus, you don't get Jesus at all. You don't get a Savior, you get a sage. The Gospel, plus anything that we add or, or require or have to do, it's not the Gospel. And so Paul's off somewhere else uh, doing the Gospel work and he hears about the Galatians that they've... they've uh, confused the gospel. And so he writes this letter, and he really kind of lets them have it because it is so important. And in this section of the letter, Paul is imploring them, he's begging the Galatians to grasp once again the eternal difference between trying to earn salvation through works of the law and receiving salvation by grace through faith. Now, what do I mean by the law? Well, I mean anything that you have to do or any standard that you have to meet in order to earn acceptance or gain a sense of peace. And, of course, we talk about the law of God and, and this sort of common notion, even alive, certainly alive today, that, that God is really only interested in our obedience. I saw a billboard just the other day that said, real Christians obey the Ten Commandments. It's this notion that good people get into heaven because they do good things. They do all the stuff. And that is the law. It's not the gospel. But it is basically what the teachers after Paul or teaching. Now the concept of the law, that is gaining acceptance by meeting a certain standard, it doesn't just work in the, with the law of God, it works in pretty much any area uh, of our lives. For instance, when you pick an outfit out for your child or your grandchild and they say, I can't wear that, everyone's going to make fun of me. That is the law at work. Not the law of God, but the law of acceptance, the law of cool. When you need the latest phone, even though your current phone works just fine, but you view yourself as the kind of person who needs the latest phone, that's the law at work. Anything that you do to avoid judgment or gain acceptance on any level, you put out the pictures of the in-laws before they get to your house from out of town. You drop names. You casually mention the price tag of the car you just bought. Oh, I didn't really mean to say that. Exaggerate the size of the fish that you caught. It's all gaining acceptance. 
through meeting a standard. And theologically, it's called the law. And it is exhausting. It's exhausting. When we're talking about the law of God, it's a, it's a standard that we simply can't achieve with any sort of perfection. And so what do we do? We start looking around, right, to see if we're at least doing better than uh, others around us. And there's always going to be somebody doing better than we are, but there's always going to be someone doing a little worse that we can throw a little judgment on, be a little better about ourselves. When we're talking about other laws like social acceptance or how we view ourselves and things like that, there's pretty much, those are pretty much always moving targets. And it's just exhausting. But at least it's measurable, right? It's measurable. The law as a means of uh, salvation, at least on an earthly sense, is attractive to us. We keep going back to it. It's so magnetic because we know where we stand. It's measurable. We can check off the boxes. I've done this. I've done this. I haven't really done that, but I'm doing it better than that person. Uh, so, and, and you might be wondering, well, what's wrong with all that? The problem with the law is that it never delivers on its promise. Because it kind of promises when you get this, when you do this, you'll have peace, you'll have achieved. But, but when you, if you manage to hit one target, you don't get peace and happiness because you, there's another target behind it that's got to be hit too. And if we fail to hit the target, then it's, it's a feeling of unworthiness or shame or discouragement or a lack of acceptance or this, an obsession with hitting it the next time. And so we start looking at the performance of others and seeing how we stack up against them. And that gives us a whole new set of targets. Now don't get me wrong. The law is good. The law is good. It's not bad. It offers us order. It shows us how to live. It just can't get us to God. It can't get us to God. The law has its place. And now this is where we finally get to our text. Paul says that before faith came, that's before Jesus came and was the means of God's grace for us, the law was a guard. The law was a disciplinarian. A disciplinarian. And if you've ever had kids, you know a disciplinarian can be a good thing, right? It, it keeps the kids from running wild. Some of the time. Before faith in Christ, the law was our disciplinarian. The King James Version translates this, the law was our schoolmaster. And in the Greek, that, that word is pedagogue. And the pedagogue was a schoolmaster. The, in the Greeks and the Romans, the, the title pedagogue was applied to a, a trustworthy but strict slave who was charged with the duty of supervising the life and the morals of the children of the wealthy. Like a nanny on steroids. And before arriving at the age of adulthood, the children were not allowed so much as to leave the house without their pedagogue. But if they were regular kids, of course, I mean, surely they were constantly running away from the pedagogue. They were testing the boundaries. They were seeing what they could get away with. They were not directly under the care of their father. They were directly under the care of their father's servant, the pedagogue. Because they weren't mature yet. They needed a guide. They needed a restrainer until the proper time where they would be given directly into the Father's care. And Paul says the law was our pedagogue. It brought order. It provided boundaries, even if the kids were constantly seeing what they could get away with. 
But now that Christ has come, we are made full members of the family. We're God's children given to the care of the Father. And in Jesus, he's given us full acceptance by his grace. He earned that acceptance, not us. And so he has set us free from the exhausting hamster wheel of the law. There's a beautiful picture that we have of this in the gospel passage. The man that comes out to Jesus, he's in chains, he's Uh, He keeps breaking out of his chains. He's possessed by an untold number of demons. And we're told that he's constantly under guard. He's locked down. He's shackled. But Jesus comes and he sets him free from everything that has shackled him. And they find him clothed and in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus didn't make the man prove himself first. He didn't even make him promise to behave afterwards. He just met him right where he was, and that love transformed him authoritatively and set him free. Jesus meets us where we are, whatever has has us chained or locked down, and he offers us a transforming love, no longer under the care of our pedagogue, but under the care of our loving Heavenly Father. You've been adopted into the family. The papers, the adoption papers have been signed by the blood of Christ. And so you have been given a new name. You're a Christian. And you know, our Christianity is not just a refuge. It's not something to keep in your back pocket when times get tough. I mean, it is those things. But Paul says, you have clothed yourself with Christ. You're wearing the family robe. It's your your primary identity. It's your true north. And that's what Paul means when he says there is no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. It means the gospel is the great equalizer. And we could add to it for our times and say uh, that there is no Republican or Democrat. There's no gay or straight. There's no rich or poor. No boomer or millennial or Gen Z. That all are one in Christ Jesus. None is better than the other. We, got, we all got our own stories. But there is no asterisk. There's no parenthetical disclaimer. The author David Redding says, The fact that I am a Christian requires no modifier. Such as, born-again Christian or progressive Christian. I am merely a follower of Christ, full stop, a Christian and nothing else. Just like little Sean never have to say he's the adopted Gibbs. He never has to say he's not a biological Gibbs. He will be a Gibbs with the E, full stop. I'm not this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian. I'm a Christian. Saved by grace, child of the King, full stop. And you see why this is such good news in our divided world. Because the law, in whatever form it takes for us, whatever standard we're holding out, in our fallen human nature, we take the law and we get competitive. And we get tribal. We become warring factions. We begin to lift ourselves up and put others down. And we're right and you're wrong. And The gospel is the great equalizer. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So friends, let's not confuse the gospel. But let's let the gospel be our primary identity.
Amen.